Welcome back to The Social Sanctuary, episode 6, which is the last in the current series. Before we get into it, I'd just like to place a content warning at the start of the episode because there is a lot of food talk ahead of us. So apologies if it makes you very hungry. It's time to grab a cuppa and a biscuit because it's a pleasure to introduce Chikumo Fiseko, vlogger, baker and dessert maker. Chikumo and I have been close friends for seven years now and we met after I asked her for help with public speaking when I had to deliver one of my first business pitches when I was in school as part of the big challenge enterprise competition. Um, which Chikumo won um, in 2013 in Sheffield. Um, we just clicked and we've watched each other grow. So hi Chikumo, how are you today? Hi Harvey, I'm good thanks. Um, I introduced you as blogger, baker and dessert maker. Can you tell everyone about your different businesses and your blog too? Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm a baker. I initially started off as a baker when I was probably... 15-ish and that started because I wanted to go to the cinema with my friends and obviously you've heard this story many times but um, (laughs) as you know I wanted to go to the cinema and my parents just wouldn't give me the money and obviously you know you always have that one parent that is going to say yeah so I kind of went to my dad and said right well dad mum says yes if you say yes um can I go and then mum was as dad said we'll go to your mum and get the money off her and then I went to my mum and I was like well Dad says yes if you say yes, um, and I need a tenner. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you can get the money yourself, knowing I didn't have the money. But she'd been teaching me how to bake. So from that, I ended up, she taught me how to bake muffins. And I'd been so proud of what I'd made that I'd then gone to school and like, I took them in for my friends to try. So when I went back and said, right, I can go to the cinema, but I've got no money, my friends had then suggested, well, why don't we buy your muffins a muffin a pound? There were at least 10 of us back then, and well then, you could go to the cinema, have food, and you travel and come back with change, so <laughs> Not that was like great. that now, is it? <laughs> exactly, but it was amazing, because that's what kind of made me realise, well, first of all, as long as they say yes to me going out, as long as I've got my own money, I never need to worry again. So that's kind of how my journey started with that, and then I was lucky enough to end up consulting for a baking mix company. And that's where um, my next business idea came along. So I used to go to supermarkets, um, the top main ones, and pitch. Um, and we'd always have to take a gluten-free version with the like supermarket-owned brands that had gluten in. And I just remember thinking, this just doesn't smell, taste, look the way you'd expect a homemade cake to be. And obviously, coming from a family mm. where people love to bake and people love food, I thought, well, I could do better. So the idea had always always been in the back of my mind, but um, I ended up moving to Belfast just over four years ago. And it wasn't until last year when I happened to run into someone that worked for Belfast Met. And you know when someone just listens to you and knows what you're passionate about? Yeah. And he ended up messaging me after saying, I know you said you, you, this was like a five-year plan and you don't want to start the baking mixes yet, but if I could get you funding, would you be would you be happy to look at it? And I was like, yeah, that's great. So we started working on them. And a couple of months or maybe three months after, I then found out I was being made redundant. So thank God that happened. Um, and that's how I then started Nina, um, where I basically create baking mixes just to try and the, the more sustainable. So the on average, 50% quicker to make. 
they are an all-in-one mix because to me if someone's going to bake if you want to take the time yes to learn what you're going to do that's fine I'll be able to talk you through that and I'm going to have videos and stuff up but if you just want to be able to bake something and you're a novice then my mixes basically just need so for the sponges you just need the sponge mix some eggs and a bit of butter and that's it and within so I've timed myself the quickest I've ever been able to make them from start to finish this is including take it like taking the top off the the pack has been 20 minutes which is amazing wow yeah and that, that means you've got a cake at the end of it in, in 20 minutes as well so that's how I started doing that and just in general I've always loved desserts and food so my life just does revolve around food and content creation so with a blog side um I started the blog probably around the time we were meeting or just before and um, I always used to get my friends asking me for advice but they'd come to me like I was called like mama chick so they'd come to me for like motherly advice but I'd know people's secrets and know that someone was telling me a secret that involved someone else and if I could just tell everyone both sides of it I could help them but I couldn't so I thought well this would be a great way to talk about things in general in life that are happening because I've got two cultures behind me and Coming from an African household, when you grow up in Western culture, it's difficult to explain to your friends if your parents say no, why you can't do something. But at the same time, when people were coming to me for advice and it was the same kind of advice, I thought, well, let me be efficient and write it down so that if they do come to the advice, I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'll talk to them, but this is always going to be a place for them to read it. So it started as kind of just my online diary and ended up being kind of my platform that I've used to talk about the things that matter to me the most. So food and the content side of that um mental health has been a huge side of it being in an interracial relationship and even just the dating scene itself it's been really great to be able to kind of just open up about life without having to be too open because I think that every time I start blogging people that I wouldn't ever think would even read the blog get in touch to say oh it really helped me so I've always said I'll carry on yeah. yeah because as long as I'm helping one person that's all that matters yeah, and I know that um, we'll go more into this later, but at one time you found it hard to find the time for the blog, but you know, was it even if just one person read something and it helped them, then yeah. then it's worth it. Exactly. So what made you kind of fall in love with baking growing up? Was it your mum that always kind of was showing you new ways to do things and it was just kind of your way to bond together? I wouldn't even say that. I just loved food. So when I was a kid, um, I was, <laughs> so I'm, I'm lighter now than I was as a kid in year six, which is mad when you think about it. But yeah, I've just always loved food. And I found that growing up, my, so my mum was, was the baker and my dad just throws things together and it's the most amazing thing. So I found that as a family, it helped bond us because they did all the hard work and I got to eat it, which was great. But then the baking side of it for me became more important because I realized that it was a generational thing. So my mum's sister taught her how to bake and she's like the mother of, of the group because my mum's, um, my, my grandma died when my mum was 18. So my grandma taught my auntie how to bake, my auntie taught my mum how to bake, my mum taught me. So these are all kind of generational things that have been passed on. And if you look in my family, there are a few of us that are bakers and have recipes that were passed on really from my grandma. So it's kind of, that side of it was amazing to know that I was bonding with people that I've never even met 
through the people that are around me now. And actually, that makes sense just hearing you say that because the name for your um, dessert mixer's business stems from the idea of of mother. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I always thought that for me, so it was like my grandma stood over and watched my mum and my auntie and my auntie obviously stood over and watched my mum and my mum stood over and watched me. So I thought, well, it'd be nice to pay homage to all the mothers out there that do, that are the homemakers, because to me, I'd like to feel like I'm supporting people, not only to learn a new skill, but it's like someone standing over you saying, oh, it's going to be all right. Whatever you get at the end of this, it's going to be great to eat and you'll pick up the skills. It doesn't have to be perfect to start with, but you'll get there. And that's what I found from the feedback that I've got. It's been, it has, it's been amazing. Yeah, even I've used them and I've got no idea what I'm doing. So, <laughs> And that's what I love. Work. Yeah. <laughs> so in lockdown, the, the nation turned to baking um, to kind of cope with everything that was going on. And banana bread and cheese scones were amongst the most popular recipe downloads. You started to document your recipe videos on TikTok and some of those went viral. Have you found TikTok to be an important selling tool for your businesses? I actually wouldn't say that I'd gone to look at TikTok as being a selling tool. So I joined TikTok probably the beginning of March or mid-March. And for me, that was a time when my mental health was at the lowest it's been in in a very, very long time. So I thought, well, I know that I want to be in, I want to keep creating content and show people that I'm still available to work if needed and I'm still building on my skills, but how can I do it in a way that doesn't feel like work and I'm, I'm having fun? So that's why I started doing them eventually, it's initially on there. But I found that I loved it so much that normally if I'm creating content, it's with the view for someone to see it, a company. And I'll have a company in mind, whereas that for me was just, this is just fun. I'm, I'm working on my editing skills. I'm working on something that someone can look at and try. But as well, it's keeping my mind off the world. And I found that through people seeing me genuinely enjoy what I was doing, that then turned into sales. So it's been a great selling tool, but it wasn't one that I was expecting to have as a selling tool because obviously on there, like you're saying, your videos can go viral very quickly. And it's very weird how the platform works. But I found that I'm keeping TikTok as my for fun site so that whenever I feel like I just want to create content and have the fun element, that's great because the followers are coming anyway. And I might not be at a stage where I've got like 10,000 followers, but that's that was never the idea. So for me, as long as I get to dip in and out of it and create the content when I feel like I, I want to and it'll be fun, that's what stops it from then becoming like it's work and then becoming stress. Like it, 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 I'm keeping it as, yeah, as a fun tool. Yeah, and I think that's that's the way to go because I, I know that for me, TikTok, just watching everyone's content on there, that was an escape, especially at the start of lockdown. Exactly. Um, and, and that's your fun content, but you've also covered some really serious issues. So you've gained lots of new followers recently, particularly on Instagram as a result of all of the fantastic Black Lives Matter content you've shared. And Social media is undoubtedly more a more favoured news source amongst younger generations now, and older generations tend to favour more traditional sources of media for updates. 
But I think it's important to recognise that in the world where racism is still such a prevalent issue, um, prejudice may only ever be accurately described and and witnessed by those who have experienced it. And I think that your kind of unfiltered content and and the way you've used your platform as an effective source of kind of uh, showing the racism that exists today uh, has been... Well, it's it's clearly worked because it's gained you a much larger following. And how important is it for content creators to use their social media platforms in such a positive way like you've done? I think it's important because when you look at the world we live in now, social media is... like Yes, you still have ways to sell to people that are, are offline, but when you look at the way, like now people can be friends with people in different countries that they've never met just because they talk online a lot. So I think the more honest you are about who you are as a person and the information you put out, the more people, you don't need to be out there to help, but you don't know who you're helping by what you share. And I think that's why that was so important for me because yes, I have to be vulnerable in the things that I put on and I, 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 I share more than for example my dad's happy with because my dad looks at that and and sees that obviously coming from a black background he thinks that I'm too honest and that jeopardizes maybe some of the work that I'd be able to get because people might be scared or people don't understand and I, I completely agree with him and I know that definitely that's made a difference in my work life but if I don't talk about it the way I see it is well what world am I gonna have for my children to grow up in and what world do I want to grow up in so I think that's where, I don't like the term influencer, but even as, as an influencer and as a blogger, you have to be open in, in everything you say because you have a following for a reason and those people follow you because they're looking for advice or just to see your life or just to see just something different. And if you're not being honest in what you have and what you're talking about, then how are people supposed to see that their life is normal? Because if you look at, Instagram, Instagram just shows you the best of people's lives. I'm not. I'm never going to put on. Well, I, I would put on a picture where I'm. I'm sad, but most people wouldn't put on a picture where they're not looking the best or the sad or something's going on. So, if you don't see that as the norm, people then start to think, "Well, I'm not sad. My life doesn't look like that, that way. So that's not right." And then they're refusing to see the fact that that's only a snippet. That might only be two minutes of someone's life, or it might have been someone saying, right, I need to get a, fo- a, a photograph done and I need to look this particular way. So they might not even feel happy when they're taking the picture, but it looks that way. So you have to be honest because I think there are so many people that need to know that their struggles and their lives are valid and are real, that if you're not honest, then you're kind of, you're doing a disservice to like people that would follow you and your, your own friends and family. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if if you use your platform in a way that you're happy with um, and you're using it in a positive way as well, it's not like the content you've shared has been argumentative in any way. And I think that that's important because, I mean, there's been so much um, kind of hate as well for the Black Lives Matter movement. But 
I saw the trial of the Chicago 7 at the cinema last week, and by the time this episode's released, that'll be on, on Netflix. And it was such a, an important film to watch, and I'd recommend it to anyone listening to this. But um, I think that with with the way that the footage of, of George Floyd's murder was captured by a bystander and then went viral on Facebook, that might be... You know, I can see why people say that's not a good thing that that happened, but it raised awareness and caught so much attention of people who until now believed that racism was a thing of, of the past. And exactly. It, it was traumatising to see, and that's why people kind of d- don't like it. But I know we spoke a lot of the time about how the news had impacted you, and do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement has been positive? And how have you coped with kind of all the the negativity that's come with you using your platform to speak out? It's been positive and negative. It's been negative on my mental health in the sense that I can't, I've not been able to get away from seeing people that look like me be treated in such a horrible way when all, really all anyone is asking is to be treated as an equal treat others the way you want to be treated. And the funny thing is, um, before the Black Lives Matter movement started, I wrote about how I was feeling just as a woman, as a black woman in general, in life. So it showed people as well, which was great, that this wasn't just a new thing that had happened. When I wrote my blog, that was, I think, end of February. Um, So it had been a good few weeks before the whole Joe Floyd thing happened. And it showed people that, this clearly isn't something new and it allowed people I think to be open to the fact that it wasn't just being made up because there have been there have been negative people and there have been people that have said some horrible things but I think again this the movement made me realize that I've normalized so much and a lot of microaggressions that have affected me so much through life that when lockdown happened I all those feelings kind of just came up And I had to find a way to deal with it. And it made me feel really sad because it just made me think, well, obviously um, having Sean as my boyfriend, as a a white person, being a white man, he's at the top of the pyramid and being a black woman, I'm at the bottom of the pyramid. So even to explain to him, like I I remember him coming in one day and just saying, because my mental health just became really bad. I remember him coming in one day and just saying, honestly, I'm, I'm so worried about you and I don't know what to do because you're the strongest person I've ever met. You just go through life and you just do what you want and you're always really happy and you don't let things phase you. And all of a sudden, you can't get out of bed, you don't want to eat, you're just not the same person. Like, what what am I supposed to do? What can I do? How how can I help? And that's what kind of made me realise that, right, I'm really bad. And it made him realise as well that there are a lot of things that maybe I didn't talk to him about that did affect me on a day-to-day basis because you'd find that, Sometimes we go for a walk and people do stare a lot. And normally it's out of ignorance, but there are days where he's more more bothered about it than I am and days where I'm more bothered than than he is. And I think that just brought to light to him that it's not only those little small pockets of us going out that affect me. There were were a lot of things that I then realised I didn't talk to him about, like the fact that I had to travel for work and I had to go to different stores. And these stores, I had to do my research before going to the area to know, first of all, how safe am I going to be? How do I need to react? How do I need to carry myself? 
what other normal person has to do that when they're working for a company? You don't have to think of those things. But I did. Yeah, no one. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember, like, I'd have to be driving. I'd be, I'd be driving in the, like, the work van, be getting closer and closer, and I'd just be feeling anxious and thinking, right, so far everyone has met to be really nice, but just, just just get in there, just get in there. And you'd be walking through a car park, and you'd just be thinking, right, there are people staring, there are people pointing, there are people saying stuff. Just ignore it. So all those things as well, I was then able to stop talking to Sean about and make him realise it more. And then obviously start talking about it more on, on social media because a lot of people didn't realise that those things were happening. A lot of people didn't realise that that was my life, but that's been my life for 27 years. It, to me, it's just the norm, but obviously it's not normal mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be. Definitely not. And I think that there's still such a, an ignorance around people um speaking out about racism i mean just take the diversity performance on britain's got talent as an example that having over fifteen thousand complaints for from people who probably not even seen it and it was such a great important performance but you just think why do people still have that attitude uh, you know in in 2020 it's crazy really is so I know that when you started the blog a few years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, <laughs> really, um, you kind of found it hard to juggle that with all your other commitments, and we spoke about that earlier, but it's kind of really taken off in the last couple of years, hasn't it? So yeah. what made you decide to grow the blog? And it, it has been amazing to see it become such a success. Oh, thanks. It was actually by, not by chance. So when I moved from Sheffield, um, I thought, right, I'm going to put the business to one side and just concentrate on getting uni done. Because at that point, so I moved to Belfast because um, dad had cancer and was ill. And I just thought, right, this this will be my one year to go and spend time with my family. Just if worse comes to worst, I'll know that I'll have spent as much time with him as I could have. And thank God it's, it's fine now. But um, when I moved, I couldn't just be a student that worked at Carphone because I've always been more than that. I've always done a few things on the side, obviously, as you'd know. So I thought, well, let me carry on writing and see where that takes me. And it happened to be one of the girls from school, Julia, messaged me on, um, I think it was Twitter, and said, oh, do you mind if I add you into one of these groups? And I didn't realise that you'd get paid from blogging. So she added me in this group and the amount of knowledge and all these bloggers and people talking, people being invited to events and all this. And I was like, what is going on? So all this time I've been writing, (laughs) I could have been making a living off this. And I don't regret the the path I went down because I think that's what's made me stick to the roots of the blog in terms of it being like my online diary. Because as much as I love the fact that I make money from it, that's not... My main goal, I, I always, I want to talk about the things that interest me and work with brands that interest me. So if those brands don't come along, the blog's still there. So yeah, that's what made me kind of decide, right, let me try and take this seriously and see where it comes from. And it just happened to be that I very like early on, I was invited to a couple of events and kind of saw that side of what life could be like and loved it. And just thought, well, in, in general, um, when it comes to the food aspect, I used to go and do reviews for restaurants anyway. And that would never change. I don't mind if someone invites me to give me food, that's fine. But I'd rather go and pay for it myself, knowing that I'm going to give an honest review. And I think whenever someone's, you're working with a company, you have stipulations that you wouldn't if you're just going as an unknown person. 
So that's the side of the blog that I was enjoying back then. So I thought if I can mix being able to go and still write honest reviews and be able to work with brands, then that'll be great. And that's kind of what's happened. And it's got me on the path now of all the stuff that I do marketing wise, which is, it is mad to think that that's, that's where all that stemmed from. Yeah, it's, it's funny how things work out and they all link together, but you might have started one at one time and then it's turned into something so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was great that you said that if people offer you food for free, you'd happily do, but you'd rather pay for it yourself and give an honest review because I think today the buzz surrounding kind of social media and creating the perfect posts and jumping through kind of fashion and photography hoops to snap the best picture it's created a toxic culture um and it that's been promoted to younger generations as the ideal appearance of a person or or what something should look like even homes and and meals is constantly on their feeds and how important is it for influencers to create trust with their followers i think you you have to create trust because there are people that go into that, that now look at it's, it's weird to think that there are kids in school that say when I grow up I want to be an influencer like that was never a thing when we were in school so the fact that it can be a job I think because of the way I went into it I didn't go into it looking at it as, as a job so it's a lot easier for me to be honest about what's going on like there are days where like this week just because I've been a bit down and it was my birthday and, and I wanted to celebrate that just on my own I took myself away for a few for a few days and didn't feel the pressure. Whereas I think there is a massive pressure on people being able to put content on every day nearly. There's pressure on people being able to create a particular type of look and just the information that goes out. And I think if you're not someone that's going to be honest, that's what doesn't help when it comes to the toxic culture because I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've worked on both sides of it. And there are influencers that are very kind of difficult to work with. And sometimes you think, right, I know what it's like to be a blogger. I'd never speak to a brand like this and I'd never have these stipulations. But at the same time, I've been on the other side of it where there are companies that want to take advantage as well. And I think that's where um, there's a page, I think it's called the Influencer Pay Gap, that started because of the Black Lives Matter movement just to show the pay gap between um, black content creators and white content creators. But you've also found that there are people that might have 100,000 followers that have never been paid in their life for, for creating content. And there are companies going to them saying, no, we're not going to pay you or don't even bring that up. And the fact that those people are now being honest, it shows people that, OK, this is what needs to change in, in the industry. Because it's taught me as well that not only do I need to value what I'm doing, but I need to value it because I can look at the people that engage with my content. I can look at my followers might not be the most but it gets me paid work. So I can then turn around to someone and say, well, you might have 100,000. I'm only on just over 2,000 and I'm getting paid for my work and you can swap ideas. So the more people are honest, I think the more you can create a trustworthy kind of a view of it because that is the way forward. People sell to people. And when you look at terms of marketing, influencer research is the way forward because you tap into markets that many brands normally wouldn't be able to because the markets that are already there that that person's already built that trust so if you get on with a brand and you have a good relationship then your followers are going to know that you've picked that brand because 
you trust them and you have the same value. So it works both ways. But again, you have to be honest. Exactly. And I think going back to uh, kids in school, I know I've done talks last year at, at schools and a common theme was, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. And what kind of students don't remember is that all of your biggest influencers like Zoella and Molly May and yeah. everyone like that, they started it as a hobby. Like it was never their intention either for it yeah. to become so big. So you can't just kind of say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to start a, a blog and it's going to be the best and biggest thing ever. Because yeah. actually it's it's it quite often starts as a side project for people and becomes something more. And you're a great example of that, because like you said earlier as well, you never knew that you could get paid from it. Yeah. Have you found found it hard to um, set your rates for paid social media promotions? Because like you were saying as well with with rates it can vary so much between different influencers so some people charge so much and that they might not have that many followers as you you get people at the top end of the game who don't charge as much as you'd expect so and it's not all about the numbers it's about engagement and and your engagement is always consistent I think oh thanks but that's that's exactly the point so I was talking to someone the other day and saying, I don't look at, as, as much as I'd love, I'd love to be at 10,000, 100,000 followers, whatever it's going to be. But I don't focus on that because to me, I want to create a community that that can talk to each other and can trust each other. But it's been hard to kind of, it's taken me a long time. To be honest, it's only now over the last kind of month or so that I can see my rates have been completely solid and I'm not changing and I've been and I've been able to turn around to companies and say do you know what if you don't have the budget then I'm not going to work for you but like I said because I've been on both sides of it I, I look at it from the from the sense that as a blogger companies come to you and expect you to be um the strategist and come up with a content plan they expect you to come to be the photographer the editor they expect you to get props in they expect you to create so much for them sometimes for free and you go, well, actually, if this was a business, you would hire a photographer. You'd hire someone to take the pic- sorry, to, to edit the pictures. You'd hire someone to clothe the person. You'd hire someone to do all these different jobs. But you're expecting that, and you'd pay them a really good rate as a professional. But you're expecting this content creator to do it for you for free. So that's where I've been able to turn around and say that's why it's more important to create relationships because especially the brands that I'm a brand ambassador for. Um, Green Angel's actually a really good example that I skincare wasn't really my thing. And I've always been honest about that. So I kind of said to my the people that follow me that they're going to be going on a journey with me to see how I am. And I'll, I'll be honest and let them know. And it's been great because they got in touch with me and said, would you be interested? And if you are, apply. And I looked at them and thought, right, it's an Irish brand. It's, it's all um, vegan. It's fine. It's cruelty-free what more would I want to work for? They're trying to be sustainable. So in terms of my values, they fit my values to the point where I thought, okay, if I'm going to venture out, this would be a great great company to start with. But again, you have to create the relationships to show them that this is why you want to work with me. And if you don't, it's going to be your loss because I think the more people agree to work for free, the harder it becomes to then for, for other people to get paid work because if you look at sometimes there are days I'll spend a good half a day just creating content. 
like at the moment now I need to spend half a day scheduling not even scheduling planning what I'm gonna create to schedule so that's going to be maybe two three days worth of just getting to the point where it's even going to be posted before it's it's posted so that's a lot of mm-hmm. my time so I think the more people start to realize that when they're saying they're going to work for free and they just keep working for free it's hard on other people that use that as paid work because I think if you're happy to work for free at first I would there are, there are companies I, I do I, I, if I know that I'd be I'd buy the product anyway I'd say right well I'll, I'll get this one for free and then we'll see how we go because um, then you're not obliged to post anything about them and if I'm then happy about them then I will and that's where the negotiations can then start because I can then show them these are the insights that I have from similar or your competitors or similar people I've worked with these are the people that follow me these are the demographics um, this was the engagement this is these are the messages that I've got from people and I think there that's where it becomes hard for them to turn around and say no we don't want to pay you because they're then going well actually why wouldn't we want to pay you because really at that point I'm just a, free, a freelancer on their behalf trying to help them sell the product but yeah again people need to realize that there's a lot of time and effort that goes into it on both sides. Exactly um, and brands and followers don't don't see that side of it and do you think it's important for brands to stop automatically choosing the biggest influencers to collaborate with and solely making the decision based on um like who to sponsor based on the numbers alone completely so there was a company i worked with and they had two influencers that they were that they end up choosing. One of them had over a thousand, sorry, over a hundred thousand followers, and the other has, I think, at the moment they have just over ten. But when you looked at the demographics, the demographics of the people based here, even though the the one with over a hundred thousand followers had that many, when you looked at the demographics, most of the followers were outside of the UK, which wouldn't help the brand here because they're just based here. Whereas the person that had 10,000 followers had 10,000 followers that were all or mostly UK, but more than 90% of them were UK based. So the one more than 100,000 got a lot more money for less people, if that makes sense. Whereas the one at 10,000 got less money, but actually their engagement and the way that they've been able to get the product through has been a lot better. So you have to look at that as well and go, where's your money coming from you have to be very smart in looking at the demographics you have to be smart in looking at how they communicate with with the people because some people do have agreements where they say well I'm only going to have a post on for a week and then it's deleted whereas there are some people that might be happy to pay a bit less but know that it'd be an ongoing relationship and will promote more than just one product so there are two there there's always more than one way to look at it Exactly, and I think that um, the results show as well. And aside from blogging um, and using your platform in a positive way, you've always done so much to support students and mentor young people. So you've set out to create the next generation of bakers as well with, with the baking mix business. Can you tell us more about kind of why you wanted to do that? I know we spoke earlier about you kind of keeping the the family recipes alive as yeah. well yeah I, th- I think for me it was the fact that not many people bake anymore I've had 
so obviously I've baked for many years and I've sold cakes for many years and still do. And I always had people saying to me, oh, this reminds me of like the cake my grandma or my mom or my, my uncle or my dad or my grandpa, someone that is close to them used to make. That's when I then started to realise that a lot of these people then didn't have the skills to make the cakes, which fair enough, I'm happy that they were coming to me for the birthday cakes, for anniversary cakes, for celebration cakes, whatever it was. But at the same time, I thought, well, if you empower people to to do things for themselves, it gives people the option. So it, it means for me, you can buy the ready-made cakes and desserts. I've got like a postal dessert service with most of the muffins. You can buy that made up. Or if you, if, let's say the cookies. But if you want to learn how to make the cookies yourself, then I'll have information there for you to, like on TikTok where you can see the recipe yourself. And if you don't want that, and you just want a baking mix and just something simple with simple instructions to follow in front of you, then there you go, you've got a baking mix and you'll be able to see how it's created. So I just wanted to give people the options basically to choose how they learn and how they adapt and move forward. Because I think food for me has been such a massive thing for my mental health and for my family that I want that to keep going. I think so many generations have done that and it would just be nice for me to have my own part in doing that. Yeah, and I think it's great that you've catered for all different types of audience as well. And you mentioned mostly muffins. So for those of us who don't want to bake ourselves, you relaunched mostly muffins in Belfast earlier this year to offer postal desserts. What's your journey relaunching been like? Because I know that was your first business. And when you moved from Sheffield to Belfast, I was gutted that you wouldn't be able to make me regular treats and cakes <laughs> on my birthday as well. Oh, no. But that one's funny as well, because a lot of people, when I moved, like you had said to me, oh, but how am I going to get your cakes? How am I going to get your desserts? And people had said to me back then, have you thought of doing like something postal? And I thought, oh, it'd be too hard. But then you looked at COVID and you thought, well, businesses are having to pivot and I'm in the point now where I'm furloughed I have nothing to do so I need something to keep me going I need something to just keep me sane and and I, obviously I knew that for me that I'd always been great for mental health so that's what kind of made me decide to start that again but it's been mad because it's been so busy but I looked at how other people were kind of doing things and the journey they were going through and how stressed sometimes they were because I think because people were stuck indoors you'd get loads of orders at once and if you don't have a cap then you're having to stay up all night to bake all of that so father's day for me was so busy and that's what made me decide right I need to find something that will allow me to do everything I want to do so um the postal side of the desserts unless it's something for like a birthday um I do those once a week so I'll get orders due till Saturday at 12 o'clock and then I'll bake them on a Sunday and post them on a Monday so I thought if I have that where I know that each week I've got income coming in and at least that is going to keep me going and know that I've always got something coming in, then if people want cakes, I can have a calendar. But it also meant that I could go off and start new projects. So as it stands now, I have my days split up so that I've got two days for mostly muffins. I've got one day for Nina and then the other days are for content and the marketing stuff that I do. So it's just allowed me to kind of create the business I want to have to allow me to know that even if I do want to travel and do everything else that I've always wanted to do, I can say I'm not going to be around for two, three weeks and come back and my customers will know that everything's 
still as normal. But beforehand, I just didn't know how I could ever do that. So I think COVID's been a blessing in disguise in the sense that it's kind of allowed me to to find a way to create the business the way I want it to be and to to have the lifestyle I want it to be. That's that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, and it's allowed you the time as well to yeah. to set all that up because you wouldn't have done that had you been. Um, well, not being on furlough, really. Exactly. What's your go-to dessert? I know that when we met, it always surprised me that you weren't a big fan of chocolate, but all the desserts you made are kind of filled with it. I know. That's the funny one, because for me, I've still not created the, the perfect chocolate fudge cake. When I go out, that's what I always buy. But um, my favourite till now is still just vanilla. So over the past few years, I've played with different types of uh, vanilla pods, vanilla beans, vanilla just different types of vanillas. And um, that's always just my go-to because that's the one I know I can have it in a jar and post it. I can have someone come and pick it up by hand. I can drop it off. And it's just a fail-safe. And um, my other one would be almost carrot coffee because to me, that's my, my own creation. And it was personally for me. It wasn't that I wanted to sell it for anyone else. It was because... I didn't really like nuts and carrot cake and I love coffee with it. So I thought, well, let me create almost carrot coffee and that'll be something I love. And it just happened to be that loads of my customers love that as well. So yeah, they're probably my two favourite ones. But yeah, anything chocolate just sells out. It's it's unreal. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's interesting to see when you think you're creating something unique because you like it and then... Mm. It's like everyone else loves it just as much. That must be quite quite rewarding as well. Yeah, it really is. So you've been so busy this year. What are you most excited for in the months ahead? So um, my boyfriend's just literally today has is going. He's on his way to Morocco to work as a teacher, and um, with COVID and everything that's happened. It's meant that, sadly, my contract wasn't renewed, like I was made redundant. So I then decided, right, this is my time to try and go freelance and just work for myself completely. So I've got some new marketing clients. Um, I'm still baking. I'm still doing everything I wanted to do. But it just means now that I can, well, permit and depend on what's going to happen with travel restrictions. But I'm now going to be able to work from my laptop and be able to go anywhere in the world and work which is amazing because as long as I know that I need to be here for particular days to bake and to get stuff out I actually physically don't need to be in one particular space so for me the exciting part is seeing where my life's going to go over the next few months because I'm now I'd always said that from when I was younger I always used to get people telling me oh you can't have a family and a career whereas I'd always said yes I can and this these are the first steps to me proving actually I can so it's terrifying but exciting that I'm speaking it into existence it's happening so we'll see how that all goes and it's so inspiring to just hear you say all that as well because I mean you've been made redundant twice in a short period of time and to hear you being filled with so much excitement for what's next I think that everyone will find that um, so lovely to listen to and hopefully it will inspire them as well. Oh, I hope so. Um, so we've had such a fantastic conversation today. Um, where can we follow and support you online? 
So on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok and Facebook, you'll find me at a diary of a chick, um, with chick C H I K. And then for the businesses, there's mostly muffins and yinner. Um, again, if you just Google those, you'll be able to see everything. But yeah, that's yeah, that's me. You've got your personal website as well, haven't you? Which kind of directs people to all the different businesses that you do. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. So I did that to make it easier. So, um, <laughs> yeah, website, I, I um, just thought I'd prompt you there. <laughs> I'm glad you did because I completely forgot. And that's why it was there. Um, so the website is www.hello. I know it's not. It's www.chikumafaseko.com. There we go. You can see I don't really give that out very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today as well. Oh, it's been great me. to hear about everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Series 1 finale of The Social Sanctuary. I started this podcast not really knowing where it would take me and it's been an amazing journey. Thanks for all of your love, kind words and support on the current series. I'll be back in December with a bonus festive episode and Series 2 will begin in February 2021. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can send me a coffee using the Kofi link in the description. And don't forget to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if there are any topics you'd like to see me discuss in Series 2, you can tweet me at HarveyMortonIT or email podcast at HarveyMorton.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you again very soon. Mm-hmm.